welcome to Brave and Boss, a podcast for the purpose-driven founder who wants to grow their e-commerce business. I'm your host, Christy Sumer. I'm the CEO and founder of the Ethical Fashion Line Encircled, a conscious business coach and passionate about helping you break through your limits and build a brand that matters. Let's do this. All right. I'm super excited to introduce today's guest. Please join me in welcoming Alyssa Lang. Alyssa, how are you? I am amazing. And thank you so much for letting me be here today and just in your people's ears. I'm so excited. Oh, I'm I'm really stoked to have you on the podcast. And it's funny how Alyssa and I met. We actually met through a Facebook group mm-hmm. uh, for another podcast that we obviously both listen to called Gold Digger Podcast. Um, and I was getting some advice on group coaching because <laughs> that's an area where I really want to go into. I've been doing lots of private coaching, but I've talked about, you know, setting up a group program and Alyssa is a wizard at not only group coaching, but many, many other things. So maybe just start off with, I gave you a kind of long form intro, but for our listeners that don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started what you're doing and what you do and why? Yeah. So my name is Alyssa Lang. I'm the owner and founder here at Magnetic Bookkeeping and Consulting. I am absolutely obsessed with helping people in this online space, especially creatives, e-commerce businesses, especially a lot of online course creators and content creators to really like elevate the way that they are tracking their finances to give them accurate numbers. Because I find that this industry truly, especially e-commerce, which I know we're going to dive into today, really lacks the right clarity that they need to make the right business decisions. I'm also the founder and owner of another company. It's called Workflow Queen. And this is where I was giving my tips and advice um, to you. uh, I think it was the past month or so when we actually met and we were talking about my group coaching program. I actually help accounting firms around the world to implement tech systems and automation. So I've got my firm so down to all the lovely systems that now I'm able to coach other firms as well. So it's quite a u- unique stance in what I do. Yeah, you kind of bridge both worlds. And I, I love that. And I love the name Workflow Queen. It's so cool. It <laughs> <laughs> speaks to me on a deep level as somebody who really appreciates the value of processes and automation. So I know that's something you're very, very into. Um, so maybe let's kick it off and we can talk a little bit more about e-commerce and you know, talking a little bit about finance. So you mentioned a little bit about having, you know, that lack of clarity um, in e-commerce and and lack of understanding, I guess, of the numbers. So Mm -hmm. could you explain a little bit more about what it means to keep accurate records and really understand your numbers in the context of an e-commerce business? Yeah. So I think ultimately, just like anything that we do in business, documentation and information is key, in my opinion. And when we start to actually record those records, we're typically organizing the right information around your sales, your expenses, especially the inventory. Um, When we're talking about e-commerce, as you know, it is no fun dealing with the inventory side of things. So being able to have those right accurate records helps you to track it. Also your taxes. So there's not only just your regular taxes with, I'm in the US. So for us, it's Uncle Sam, which is the IRS. But there's also sales tax as well. So making sure that you have the right nexus and right uh, right different states and stuff like that. And a lot of the times, if we're not keeping those records, it can really fail us ultimately in the longer in the long term. And also, I think that once we start to get into like I know they're going to dive into a lot of different aspects here, but inventory is a huge, huge thing in this industry. And I think this is why a lot of people in my industry, so as bookkeeping and accounting firms, they really shy away from e-commerce, is because it is so much of a headache to keep track of all this. For me, I love challenges and so does my team, thank God. But having these records really helps us to see trends, your seasonality. It helps you track those metrics, the data that you need to grow your business. 
ultimately when we come down to the end of the year, we all know we have like Black Friday, we've got a lot of different sales going around on the holiday, but we need those trends and that data to make sound decisions for that next year it rolls around and the next season that rolls around around the corner. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, inventory, <laughs> I didn't know that about accounting firms and bookkeepers, but it makes sense because inventory is a bit of a, a pickle to manage and how you kind of figure out what you have on hand and the value of that and all that, that tracking is really complex. Um, I guess from a starting point, like depending on a structure of a business, and I know you're based in the US and, and all that kind of stuff, but um, you know, if somebody's a solopreneur or a partnership or whatever, um, why do you feel like it's important to separate people's personal finances from their business finances? Or do you think it's okay to like co-mingle the two for a bit until you grow? Or should it always be kind of separate just for a not driving your accounting firms mad or be tax purposes or maybe something else and all of the above. Um, what's your perspective on that? Um, to be honest, I think that we all start our business with intentions of having a side hustle. I'm sure that that's how you got started. That's how I got started with my very first company that I started back in 2016. We all start it small. We just want it to what we do, what I like to call it a lifestyle business. And then eventually your business turns into this mission driven business and you're actually making like a shit ton of money. And it's like, what do I do with all these things? When you first start your business, I think it's okay, especially here in the US, like it is okay to have some overlapping of co-mingling because it will inevitably happen. Like I said, we don't know if this is going to become a thing or not, but I do believe that once you start to kick in a certain revenue for us, like in my opinion, if you're at least making anything over like 2K a month, I definitely recommend that you're going to start getting everything separated out, that you go get a bank account that's dedicated to the business, or as soon as you get that business license, I immediately recommend just going ahead and separating everything out. Now, I do understand some people like to use credit cards and use points, and a lot of their credit cards are tied to their personal, like themselves and not maybe a business card. If you're going to do that, I just recommend that you at least use that personal credit card specifically for the business. The IRS, and for us in like a lot of different countries as well, they don't really care if the financial institution calls it a personal business account, or I'm sorry, a personal account versus a business account. They don't care as long as you're just not commingling in general. But in my honest opinion, it's going to be way less expensive to hire a bookkeeper because a lot of bookkeeping firms that have to separate out your commingled funds are going to charge you more because it's more work on their plate to ask you the questions, to get it up to speed, to get their team up to speed. And to be honest, you just don't want to risk anything on the audit side of things and the tax compliance as well, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a valid point because there's so many like, and I'm sure we can talk about this a little bit too, but there's so many like apps and tools you can use nowadays. Like my accounting firm uses a whole bunch like Dext and, um, oh my God, what, well, obviously zero. Mm -hmm. um, Dext is like a big one. They used to be called Receipt Bank. And if you throw in something like a bunch of personal expenses in there, then somebody's <laughs> gonna have to go through and like sort through all those and understand like, what was that expense for wine? Like, is yeah, that like for <laughs> business or for pleasure? And it could probably open up a lot of awkward conversations with your accountants. Yep. Well. But yeah, fair point. Because a lot of bookkeeping firms um, and accounting in accounting firms that I come across, they want to know how many transactions we're doing a month. And so yep. if they're having to sort through, you know, 500 personal transactions plus 500 business, you're going to be paying a lot more money for sure. Oh yeah, 100%. I think a lot of the times too, is that when you are in the e-commerce space, you're already typically, the trend is that you 
are typically charged a little bit more to hire someone like our firm or something like that, mostly because as you know, there's a lot of inventory, there's a lot of moving parts and pieces to e-commerce. That's why I say a lot of accounting firms shy away from specializing in it because there are a lot of moving pieces. So if you're also adding that component of us now having to separate out commingled transactions, it's just going to be more work and more heavy lifting where it's like, just save yourself the time and the money and separate it out. And just, it'll give you the most accurate data as well. And you're not also overstating your income on accident or overstating expenses that were, like you said, maybe it was wine and it was not appropriate to be writing it <laughs> off. Like it will happen. And they, those things slide through. I think it's just being more intentional about it. Yeah. And there are now some great business credit cards with like points options and stuff like that. So there's mm -hmm. There's ways to kind of circumvent that a little bit more professionally, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of separating it out myself just because as soon as I, like I started my business running it through my personal account and then I was like, whoa, bad idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bad idea. Because <laughs> even myself, I was like, what is this transaction for? Like, I don't remember. Like if you use like interact or something like that, like it can be so confusing. So totally yeah. agree with you on that one. Um, so we've talked a little bit about my favorite topic, which comes up on every podcast. I have to tell you, Alyssa, which is inventory, um, <laughs> uh -huh. and cash flow, which I swear not enough people talk about in this industry. There's a lot of people talking about pinning on Pinterest and mm -hmm. Facebook ads, but not really the underlying principles. So let's talk about like cash flow and inventory. So how do they kind of interact and what are some strategies that you recommend for keeping track of your cash flow so that you can maintain healthy inventory levels. Yeah, I think for me, just right off the bat, don't overbuy. And I know that's such an easy statement and you're people are probably asking themselves, like, what does that even actually mean? Like, what's that level? Every business is different. We've dealt with multiple different e-commerce businesses from the under six-figure stage to the seven-figure stage. It all depends on what you're selling and how... how um, often are you actually turning over your inventory? So my rule of thumb is what I tell a lot of my clients as well is if something is sitting on your shelf for at least over 90 days, then you're either not, it's either you're purchasing too much or people aren't buying. And so if you don't understand your true profitability of what people, what are people buying? Like, what are they coming to you for? But you also need to understand, am I purchasing way too much? So if something's sitting on your shelf for over 90 days, then you need to reevaluate it. A lot of the um, online platforms like Shopify and stuff, they will track that inventory turnover rate as long as you're putting inventory inside of the actual platform itself. Um, and also when it comes to like the cash flow side of things, like inevitably things will get damaged. Um, it, it happens. Or if you have uh, physical sites that you're actually like packaging things from and maybe team members, something might happen. Maybe they might take something. I, I'm hoping that a team member isn't like that on your team, but it can happen. So you need to make sure that you're tracking those things as well for cash flow. And then my other rule of thumb, I know this is a lot of little tips kind of coming all at one time, but for every $1 that you spend, I highly recommend that you set aside at least 50% of it. So 50 cents uh, is going to go towards your cost of goods sold is what we call it. And think of cost of goods sold as any dollar or anything that you buy that's directly related to selling the thing that you're selling. So that's your shipping package. That is your direct cost for the team to actually be shipping that kind of stuff out. It's actually packaging things and the actual material itself. So that's my big rule of thumb. And just know your gross profit margin, which if you don't know what that is, it's your sales minus your cost of goods sold divided by your sales. You need to have a healthy profit margin or your, your business will tank. And that's the last thing that you're going to want to do with all the hard work that you put into it. 
Yeah, I feel like you just dropped a whole episode in the last like, 60 <laughs> seconds because those tips are like all very big and so many things I can like delve into there. I think I want to start with the first one on inventory turnover because I think that's uh-huh. something that not enough merchants look at. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're talking about that and I think what you're referring to is inputting the costs into the product pages on Shopify so that you can get some more accurate kind of inventory reporting. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. So whenever you are, let's just say that you're purchasing something from from me and I'm selling to you in bulk for the thing that you want to eventually resell. If you're buying from me, as soon as you get that bill or you make that payment, you're essentially putting in the inventory that you received. So if you ordered 100 things from me, you're going to put the price that you purchased it from me from and then also how many things that you bought. And then when you're actually turning that over and you're actually selling it, let's just say that you sell 50 of them and you bought each piece for a dollar from me. Well, now we can see not only the date that you actually bought it, which will tell you your turnover, whether it's been around for 90 days or not. And it all depends on, I don't want to confuse people or overwhelm people, but there's a lot of different inventory methods. But the typical one that we find that we follow the most is the the FIFO method, which is first in, first out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's typically how I recommend it as well for people. It also depends on what you're selling. But it's really just making sure that you're staying on top of that tracking, like you were asking before about accurate records, is making sure that you're doing your inventory counts on whatever frequency makes sense for you. And then actually analyzing, well, how much time has it actually sat on that shelf? And also how much are we paying for for it? And also what's the true profitability of that actual product that we're selling as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a good thing to do too is like what we do with product launches is like we'll look at sell-through based on like a two week, you know, a four week, and then like maybe a 60 and 90 days to see like, how fast are we turning that new product? And if it's not moving, like we need to do more marketing or Mm -hmm. the merchants listening to this need to push more money out, especially if it's a seasonal product, because you can end up 90 days, you're in like a different season potentially, um, which can be really detrimental depending on your, what you're selling. Um, so I can totally appreciate that. And I think, you know, Shopify has some decent inventory reporting. I would say when Mm -hmm. it comes to like that tracking of like first in first out type of stuff they kind of suck a little bit like you need an app for that in my experience or a google sheet or something like that to kind of track that data are there any other systems you've seen people use for inventory to kind of add on to get more accurate reporting you know what this is something that we have been like we do a weekly team meeting with our team and all of our e-commerce clients like we're trying to still find the best inventory tracking system mm-hmm. because there's ways to do it inside the accounting software as well but that's going to create more of an issue because you have you're actually already selling in Shopify like I'm just going to use Shopify as this example you're already selling in Shopify which is typically where you'll enter your inventory or maybe it's Etsy or Amazon wherever that wherever that is But you're not going to want to like double up the data because then that'd be like no point, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, for us, we always go back to the simple Google Sheet. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those things that's extremely reliable. We can make it our own. We can put our own formulas and everything that we need. I think the most important piece that most people forget to do is actually tracking what you currently have on hand at a certain frequency. So then you can compare it against what's actually like logged into your system. Because the other complication as well is if, Let's just say, for example, you sell on Amazon, you sell on Etsy, and you also sell on Shopify. Those are three different channels. And those three different channels are going to have different numbers of inventory. And the last thing that you want to do is have inaccurate inventory quantities Mm -hmm. and then have a very unhappy customer that buys from you. And then a a day later receives an email that, hey, I'm sorry, we actually are going to refund you because we didn't track our inventory correctly. And, you know, we didn't have what we said that we were going to give to you. Yep. Live that last year. (laughs) 
it's, it's normal. It's totally PPL. normal. <laughs> yeah, we we changed, we moved from our own warehouse to a three PL last July, and we oversold fifty thousand dollars worth of merchandise. Um, <sighs> so I can tell you that the customer experience for that. We lost so many customers and that was like, I could go into the cataclysmic reasons why that happened. There were so many, Um, but they all boil down to having a fundamental, like accurate record of inventory and inventory Mm -hmm. accurately labeled um, and having those processes in place to monitor if something seems off, like why are there like 400 tops when there really should only be like 300 yeah, um, like putting those fail safes in place. And now our error rate is like less than 1%, which is amazing. But it was probably like, I mean, I'm guessing it was like 50% at, in July last year. Like it was really high. Um, and that is expensive. Like that was an expensive mistake. So I, I wish that more e-commerce merchants would pay more attention to that. And you cannot rely on your 3PL to keep accurate inventory. You need to go in there and honestly do the count yourself. Like, yep. They just, they're going to charge you so much money to do it. It's just not even worth it. And then they're not going to do it properly. So um, I always recommend doing that yourself as well. So that's super great. And I love your tip on cost of goods sold. Um, That is often something that comes up as like, how do you actually calculate your costs and then figure out a profitable price? And I do find that like in general, and I'd be curious to hear your experience with e-commerce, but I find a lot of businesses that I've coached, like they're generally underpriced, like their margins are very low um, mm-hmm. and they haven't really figured out that sweet spot in pricing. Like what's, what's your experience with that? Ooh, I love this question. So one of my big things for us, it depends on the labor that you have. So um, I'm trying to use a, an example of a current client that we have. So we have some people who directly have hired people on site to be able to take care of the actual shipping itself. Or a lot of the times our clients hire out a full company that handles the shipping and it's maybe at their site and it's stored. That is what we call a direct cost. And that was is what your cost of goods sold is. You need to be looking at every little component of the thing that helps to produce or to deliver the actual product that you're selling. Now, let's just say, for example, you have Gmail that you like maybe email someone back and forth on, and it has nothing to do with like actually delivering on the actual goods itself. That is not a direct cost. So we're not even talking about marketing or Facebook ads that, that those are so different expenses than what we have directly related to the selling of the thing. Mm -hmm. And so my biggest recommendation is tracking the time of the team members who are actually doing the work that is helping to ship package, send out, maybe they're sewing things, whatever that looks like, because it costs you to pay them directly in order to create the thing or to actually get it out to people in their mailbox. And so I would always look at the time tracking, see what products they're working on. And you can get as nitty gritty as you possibly want to. But the other thing that you're going to want to look at as well is making sure that you understand how much your shipping is costing. Can we change vendors over, over to someone who might be you know, more cost effective, maybe get rid of the marketing, the cute little things that you have on your boxes that'll help you save you money. I think that that's a big thing is that everyone gets so overambitious about trying to overdo the marketing, overdo the branding that they forget that that actually costs them in the long term to actually even sell the product ultimately. Yeah. Packaging is very expensive. Like it's shocking how much cardboard boxes are to me. (laughs) Like absolutely. And then put color on them and logos. Like you can get up to like four or $5 a box, which is wild. Like that is just a lot of margin. Um, so anytime I see brands doing that, I'm like, oh, it's nice, but I don't know. Could you just do yeah. a stamp? <laughs> like, yeah. And I think that that's where, like, as a business owner, if that were to happen, 
this is where us as like a firm would do the consulting of saying, is there a way that we can actually bring this in house? Because we have worked with e-commerce businesses that are spending a lot of money, but the branding was really important to them, which don't get me wrong. I, I receive a lot of different gifts or things in the mail that I love when the boxes are super cute. But from a cost standpoint, it's like you said, they can become four to $5 boxes and it can become really expensive. So that's where we can say, is there something that maybe we can buy the machine or do whatever that we need to do in order to bring that cost down? It might be more money up front to create the, or to uh, produce the asset to print that stuff. But then in the long term, you're writing that off over like maybe a five or seven year period. And now you're just saving money in the long term. But in the short term, you're kind of getting hit. And that's where we kind of step in and try to like consult on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's such value add, I think, to merchants is to have that not only somebody kind of checking receipts and balancing the books, but somebody actually suggesting, you know, strategic things that you can do in your business. Because as an entrepreneur in e-commerce, like you're challenged to learn and you feel like you have to know so many things and like, you can't be an expert in everything. And this is why I think mm -hmm. it's so important to have like the right team um, financially. So I think that leads into a really great question I want to ask you, which is like, who should be on your team financially? Like, who do you need? I guess let's talk about a business that's doing maybe like $25,000 a month. Like at what point should people be hiring like a bookkeeper? And at what point should people be looking to like a more full service kind of accounting firm? Like, is there kind of benchmarks that you have around that? Yeah. So for us, our rule of thumb is, and this is for almost every industry standard, is if you're making at least 100K in a year, and that's top of the line, I immediately think that you need to get a bookkeeper. Now, I'm going to say for the e-commerce space, it's a little bit different. Regardless of what you're making, I do recommend at least you have someone maintaining the connections between softwares and making sure that it's pulling in the data correctly to your accounting system because e-commerce, like I said, has so many moving parts that we see this very often where they're understating their sales because the bank deposit amount that comes into your bank account is not the amount that you actually sold the thing for because what comes into your bank is after they've taken fees, after they've taken taxes, after they've taken everything that they needed to. But what happens is we see a lot of people that we bring on and do cleanups for or get them set up is that they're only recording what's dropping into their bank and now they're actually understating their sales and that's just all bad because the IRS will receive documentation from platforms like Stripe or PayPal or Shopify that you understated and that just puts you in a really bad position and that's almost every country as well. Um, so first rule of thumb is if you're making over 100K, I highly recommend that you get a bookkeeping firm. Mm -hmm. And then I would really recommend that whoever you choose to work with as a bookkeeper is depending on your stage in business, I always recommend that you work with like, it's almost like an agency style or like us, like we actually have a full team. And the reason why I say this is because especially with the e-commerce space, with how many moving parts there are, you're gonna wanna make sure that if something were to happen to me as the business owner, you're going to need to know as my client that my team can immediately step in and take over without the stress that, oh my gosh, something happened to my bookkeeper. I no longer have information. And I think that's really, really key. Mm -hmm. Now, on top of that, depending, I know that you're in Canada. So in Canada, I, I don't know the, their designations, but in the US, we call them like CPAs or tax repairs. Mm -hmm. I would recommend, regardless, you're going to need a preparer every single year because you have to file your taxes. Uh, for us, I think a lot of people always think that you immediately need a CPA when, in my honest opinion, as long as that tax repair has the right knowledge and information, they can do just as much as a CPA, except the CPA um, can do audits and represent you in, in like the court for, in the case of like a, like a tax audit mm -hmm. type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you kind of just need them. <laughs> like, yeah. In this space. You're getting started. Like don't do your own bookkeeping. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> yeah. And I think that if you do decide to go that route, I say that sometimes it's okay at the very beginning to understand and be able to see the money coming in and out because then you can know your trends of spending. I do think that there's beauty in a DIY scenario. And so a lot of times there are firms out there, like we do do coaching for um, any maybe e-commerce or even other businesses in general that want us to just train them and kind of maintain things. But what I would recommend if you do the DIY route is to at least hire somebody to set up, whether that's your Shopify, you need to make sure that the, your sales tax is set up correctly. Um, we do recommend a software called A2X, which essentially this platform will feed the information that's coming into your, your payment channels and filter it into your accounting software. And it can connect with things like QuickBooks Online, and zero. And I highly recommend that you have that, but you need to have those things set up correctly. So if you do choose that DIY route and you are maybe at smaller stage, or you're just not ready to make that investment, which it's really hard to make an investment in a CPA, even a bookkeeper or any financial, anyone, because it's one of our most vulnerable parts of ourself is showing like the behind the scenes of our numbers. But I would just recommend you have someone to guide you along the way. And then maybe even if you are that DIY, have them set it up for you, have them get you ready on the right subscription level, everything you need connected, and then see if they can work out something where every single quarter they can pop in and just double check that you're doing everything correctly. A lot of times we do find that we still have to clean some things up, but that's another option as well. Yeah. I think you bring up a lot of good points there. Um, I think I can totally resonate with like initially when I started my business feeling like, Ooh, I don't want to show everybody my books. Like this is weird. Yep. <laughs> and now it's just like, here's everything. <laughs> That's your problem. Not mine. Yeah. I'm like, don't even want to see it. And they're like, what are these 800 transactions? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, there's this like fear of it. And I don't even know where that comes from. And probably maybe people need to talk about it in therapy, but um, I think it's this fear of like showing something and maybe being judged on it. And in my experience, bookkeepers and accountants are really just there to help you and, mm -hmm. you know, make your business better and more efficient and more financially solvent. So um, they're on your side. So I'd encourage people to, if they have that fear, which I think is totally normal, yeah. um, to work on getting over it. Because as you grow, <laughs> like many, many people will have access to your books. Like it's just, it's, it's the reality and it's, it's a good thing for sure. Um, yeah. And tax. Yeah. Taxes are different in Canada than the U S thankfully mm -hmm. I won't run a Canadian company right now, but I have heard a lot of stuff in the U S and we're actually very close to us um, thresholds ourselves in Canada. Um, and I know it's a lot. Um, yeah. And so you mentioned that software at A2X I've heard of mm -hmm. Avalara. Are they like very similar type softwares? Like they're doing all the filing and stuff like that. So A2X doesn't do any filing. So essentially what it does is it reads like, I'm going to use Shopify as the, as this example, it will get the, in, when someone pays you inside of Shopify, it's going to record all the things that are happening. Like I said, if maybe they're using a gift card, maybe they're also paying for the shipping or whatever is included to actually have them purchase it. When they make that payment, A2X will be the middleman to take that data that's coming in from Shopify and it will start to, and this is where we always recommend to have someone set it up for you it should categorize everything exactly where it needs to go. So that way it then communicates to the accounting software that, hey, so for this one sale, this is how much was this, 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 and this. And it actually feeds it a lot cleaner versus trying to get individualized um, like uh, transactions that come into the bank feed and trying to do it manually. So A2X just really like helps to 
automate that to be a little bit quicker and faster. Still, there's a lot of components and moving parts and things break inevitably in any software connection. And so that's kind of what A2X does versus like things like Avalara or TaxJar is something that we recommend. Those are actual tax filing entities. And within Shopify, they do offer TaxJar, which is great. So you, as long as you're setting up your sales tax correctly and that you are charging based off the nexus and your location as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I heard yesterday, I was talking to another entrepreneur that apparently Avalara only works with Shopify Plus. Um, so you have mm. to be on like the top tier of the Shopify plan, which is $2,000 a month US. Oh man. To get access to Avalara. So I guess tax is at a different level, which is great to have another option. Cause I think $2,000 US a month for a platform is crazy pants. Oh yeah. That's it's, it's just not even like feasible unless you're making like over a couple million and yeah. to top it off, I believe that Avalara, cause we use tax jar. So I'm not super familiar with Avalara, but from my understanding is that they also work with other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so we use um, specific platforms for whenever people are selling to other countries, but a lot of times are not hitting their nexus in like, let's just say New Zealand. A lot of times the places and the countries and locations, they will require that maybe you hit at least 500K in sales before you have to start actually charging the sales tax and remitting it. And so I know Avalara, I believe does work with out of country as well. Yeah. Yeah. All the things you never thought you had to know about. (laughs) (laughs) And this is just like the financial side of running the business. I can only imagine like all the other parts that are like you guys even having to purchase the inventory, like finding vendors and like getting feedback and writing testimonials and like this and this, like this is just one component. This is why I say, even a lot of people in my industry shy away from e-commerce. I'm telling you, it's a big conversation in the accounting world that a lot of people don't want to take on this beast because there's a lot of parts. And this is why I recommend that you just don't waste the time and just hand it off to somebody, but just know because there are complications, it your, your industry is going to, we're going to have to charge more for it because there's so many more connections and platforms and things that we have to do. So I just don't want to you know, put a false type of hope on someone. I ultimately want to tell you like the reality of what you're probably going to pay for getting into this industry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not cheap. Um, And I know that like, it's, there are a lot of things to think about and, you know, working with a transitioning accounting firms is like something I don't recommend doing very often because that's a whole, whole situation. Like, because you're basically teaching somebody how to run your business again and what, what goes where and all that kind of stuff. So but yeah. I've had to do it. Like we went from like more of a bookkeeper, um, they call them CAs in Canada. So very similar um, bookkeeper, one man show CA and we outgrew mm-hmm. him. So we went to a whole accounting firm and that yep. transition was really hard, but he also spent a lot of time cleaning up a lot of my mistakes early on when I wasn't hiring a bookkeeper, yeah. um, I was DIYing it and making a lot of mistakes. So that's why I think you bring up such good points and such great tips. I think even like having somebody set up your QuickBooks properly so that if you do want to like categorize the transactions, if that gives you joy, because some people (laughs) it does, um, you can do that. Um, But, you know, having somebody double check your work and stuff like that, I think is really key because you just don't want to get on the IRA or CRA in Canada's radar at Mm -hmm. any, any, any time, quite honestly. Yeah. (laughs) So, so yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, So I want to talk just Briefly, before we wrap up a little bit more about cash flow, which is my second favorite topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, talking about cash flow, and one thing I recently talked about was the cash conversion cycle. So, like basically, how much time people have between like somebody when they buy a product off your website to when you get paid for it. And then it kind of factors in like 
if you have terms with your suppliers. So like how quickly are you paying for that inventory and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that can be really hard to increase when you're just starting out because it's very difficult to get terms. Um, and obviously there's seasonal fluctuations in your business that can impact cash flow and inventory. Like what are some tools you recommend or techniques for managing your cash flow? And can you explain the difference in layman's terms between what cash flow is and your bank balance, just so everybody understands? Yeah. So I'll start with that first, that last piece right there. So a lot of the times we think that when we log into our bank account, that that's the money that we have, which yes, technically it is. But ultimately when you're looking at the cash flow behind the scenes and behind the curtains of the books, you're actually seeing what's coming in expense-wise and actually what's coming out on what we call our balance sheet. And so you have your the, the two main reports that you're probably going to come across, um, whether you do have a firm that's going to work with you, they need to be going over this stuff with you. You have money that's coming through your profit and loss, which will include your sales and include all your expenses on top of all your costs of goods sold. Then you have things that are on your balance sheet. So your balance sheet, a lot of the times, if you're a solopreneur or yeah, solopreneur, a lot of the times you're paying yourself out of your bank account because maybe you're not set up as for us in the US, it's called an S corp, which is essentially where you're an employee of your own company. That would hit your PL versus that would actually hit on your balance sheet. And so a lot of the times people will look at their bank account and say, like, okay, I've got all this money, I'm good to go. But what you're not seeing from your bank account is you're not seeing the future projected expenses, whether they're variable or they're fixed expenses that need to come out that you've already, let's just say it's a software, right? So every single month you know on the first you have to pay for uh, Gmail and let's just say it's $50, whatever that looks like. You're not seeing that in your bank. And so that's why we recommend, and this is why we actually build custom cash flow projections for our clients to say, you might look at your bank right now, but based off of the expenses that we already know are going to hit your bank, this is how much money you should expect in your bank account at X date. If you were to continue the same trend that you are with your sales and also the money that you're spending on the way out as well. Yeah, that's such a good explanation and very clear. I talk about it a lot on the podcast, but it's good to have an expert <laughs> confirm what I'm saying is correct because it's true. You do have that money in your bank account, but this is something I really got stuck in, especially when I was started doing paid advertising probably like six years ago. You know, you think you're like making all this money and then you realize, oh my God, I owe Facebook like $10,000. Oh my God, mm -hmm. I owe like Google ads like $5,000 and this contractor and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. I don't have as much inventory as money in my bank account yep. as I thought. Um, and that's really cool. I, I still do my cash flow in a Google sheet and my, um, my accounting firm has like a cash flow kind of forecasting talk, but I prefer to be more granular with mine. But I recently yeah. came across a really cool tool called, um, Fathom. I don't know if you've heard of it. I know you use Fathom for like recording meetings, but it's Fathom cash flow. It's a, it oh. integrates with zero, maybe QuickBooks and pulls in everything into like a cash flow forecaster you can edit. Yeah. So it's something I'm looking at kind of playing around with because it's a lot more um, user-friendly because it updates with actuals when your accountants close their books. But I wasn't sure mm -hmm. if that was good or not, or if you'd heard of it. Yeah, I think there's several people that I know in the industry that have used it. There's a lot of different stuff out there for what we do and what we use for like our clients. For us, we use a good old spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, spreadsheets sometimes will never fail you. Mm -hmm. I think the important thing is the spreadsheet is a lot more manual work. Like you said, it can get granular, which means you can get down to the nitty gritty in a good way on the data that you want. But also the problem is there's also some manual work. Um, so what I recommend to even clients or something that I even do for myself is every Monday, I always do. I start my day by doing nothing else other than anything that has to do with finances. So for me, obviously I take my own books into my own hands or my, my team does it as well. 
That's usually the day that we go into our books, make sure everything's good. Then we take the data and the information. We look at the bank accounts and we go into our cash flow projection spreadsheet and we add in the actual bank balance as of that day. And then also double check anything that's coming out because if you have $50,000 in your bank account right now, but you have two employees and you also have inventory and you also have all these other things, that $50 is not going to be good for you to just go spend today because you have so many other expenses coming out. And so as far as the cash flow thing, I just think that having a good system in place, no matter the tech that you use, um, but a lot of accounting firms will use different methodologies, different software. There's a lot of different things out there. Like I said, we just, we've just nailed the Google sheet super mm -hmm. good to the point where it really supports us yeah. and our clients. Yeah. I use a Google sheet that I actually modified off of Shopify blog post they put up ages ago and I took it and I kind of hacked it to work for me, but I totally agree. And I love that tip of like starting your Monday with like opening the books and like looking at your bank accounts and looking at your transactions and making it like a habit because I feel like it's very relatable with a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs. When things are going really well, you're like, yeah, look at my books. They're amazing. And you're like, <laughs> look at my bank balance. But when you know you're like in a bad month, it's like, oh, I don't want to, I don't even want to look like, yep. but like, that's when you really need to be looking because like you could be literally running out of money. Um, yeah. And that's why cash flow is so important because what Alyssa is saying is like, you need to know what you're open to buy is like, how much money do you have available in July, for example, to yeah. bring in inventory. Um, and if those aren't connected, you can end up over buying or draining your cash flow reserves, um, which can be really dangerous for companies. And we've seen many companies go out of business in the last few years, in the last three years, because they ran out of cash. Uh, so it's a real, real big hot point. And I like to talk about it a lot. So as you can tell, I'm very passionate about it, but um... I love it. I love these conversations. They're my favorite. <laughs> Mostly people don't want to talk about it. So I'm all ears. <laughs> well, hopefully people are still listening. <laughs> I'm sure they I'm are. Sure. There's a lot of golden nuggets. I feel like I'm given all the gold, which is great. I mean, I feel like I just <laughs> wish business owners had more information on this kind of stuff because I think in my opinion, and I tell this to my clients and I tell this to prospects that were like are in our pipeline. I tell them all the time that if your business goes underground, it is a disservice to the people that need what it is that you're giving to them if you don't do the right things to have in place to be able to keep your, your business healthy. And like you said earlier, I think it was the very beginning of the episode, you had said something like, everybody's so focused on the marketing. How do I pin more? How do I get more sales? How do I get this? But everybody is not peeling the most important part of the onion, which is literally the health of your business financially. And if you can't keep it alive, you literally are failing the people that need what you have. So you need to invest in those things to keep the business alive and healthy and the right experts who understand. I know a lot of bookkeepers uh, for us, we're a bookkeeping and consulting firm. So that's why I know more, way more about cash flow. And it's not common for a lot of just basic bookkeepers. They're usually there just to reconcile, categorize. But I really suggest finding a firm that can also consult you and understands the industry as well, ultimately. Yeah, totally. And I guess to wrap it up before we go into some hot seat questions, um, what is like kind of, I guess you've talked about this a little bit, but like is there one piece of financial advice that you wish you could impart on our audience? Is there like one thing you wish more e-commerce merchants would do in regards to their finances? Yeah. So my biggest recommendation is to create a separate bank account. Maybe you label it cost of goods sold. Maybe you just label it cost. The reason I say that is for every $1 you bring in, make sure that you're allocating a certain percentage of that into that account. That will help you to see it not 
in the same account that you're spending your regular expenses, paying for your labor, all the random things you do, maybe a coach, whatever that looks like, because then it separates out that information or the, the finances that you can use to afford to buy inventory. Because like you said, with cash flow, if you're not managing that and you're seeing your money commingled with the expenses that are going to go out for regular stuff, but you're also not remembering about inventory, this just gives you a good way to kind of put it into its own envelope system. My second tip, I know you asked for one, but here's my second one. <laughs> my second one is if you've never heard of it, Profit First. It's by Mike Michalowicz. We are not Profit First professionals. There are um, There's an accreditation here in the US where you can become a Profit First professional firm. We are not, but I am a huge firm believer in the process that he has in place. Um, and it has been a game changer for myself. And we've also seen my clients that we recommend it to them as well. They read the book, they implement it, and it's just a freaking game changer. So those are my two recommendations for everybody. Yeah. I think his name's Mike McCallowitz, the author of Profit yep. First. Yeah. His book, The Pumpkin Planet, is amazing too. And I love Profit First. It's it's a great one. Um, just for visually seeing like how much money you have. <laughs> oh yeah. It's a great book. It's a great book. And he just came out with a new one called fix this next. Oh. And that's a good book as well. It helps you to identify what areas of your business you need to fix next after you fix X, Y, Z. It's yeah. a really interesting book. And I mean, I could talk about books all day. <laughs> <laughs> I love business books too. Um, so to, before we get into a couple of hot seat questions, um, so what's next for you? What are you working on? What are you focused on this quarter? What's what's big for you at both of your businesses? So for my firm here, so Magnetic Bookkeeping Consulting, we are going through a really big PR kick right now, actually. So this podcast interview happened to line up perfectly. So we're on a big marketing kick because we want to grow the business and we want to get more exposure, especially because we know and believe that especially your industry like really needs what we have or at least somebody to support them or educate them. Whether you work with us or not, our plan is to educate people and business owners on why you need these different types of people, the different designations, when would the next person step in? And so for us, we're on that big, get us out into articles, get us get me on podcasts, whatever that looks like to help educate business owners in general so they don't fail their business and run it to the ground. Other than that, we're just kind of still doing the same thing that we always do because we like to make sure that we do everything really well for exactly what we do versus trying to add on a bunch of new stuff. So we're just mostly focusing on making sure our clients are in a happy client experience. As you already know, I am huge on systems and processes. So just making sure that they're always running really well, implementing new tech, anything that we need to make life better. And my other company, Workflow Queen, we are relaunching my group coaching program, which is super exciting. And so we are going through a three-month phase because we start our launching process three months in advance. And that's a whole feat, which is amazing. But I have a full team on both sides. They handle pretty much, they run the show at this point. They're probably way smarter than I am. <laughs> I'm just the face of the company and make sure everyone feels seen and heard. <laughs> amazing. I feel like that's, you're really underselling yourself there, but... <laughs> She is the star and she's been very successful and running two businesses is no joke. So um, bravo to you and all of your success. And that's really exciting. So we'll definitely put all the links in the show notes to what Alyssa's working on. So you can check her out and follow her on Instagram as well. Um, so a couple of hot seat questions to wrap it up. I love these. They're just like quick one word answers, just whatever comes to mind. Um, so just kick it off. What's one non-negotiable step in your morning routine? my skincare routine. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is it short? Like, can you share it? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I typically, I have this little face steamer that I'm obsessed with. I bought it from Amazon. It was like a hundred dollars, which like, I think it was so worth it. And so I put my face in the face steamer after getting out of the shower, I put, um, 
always for, always forget the name of it, but there's a, several different things I've been layering, but it's funny. My whole life, I never followed a skincare routine. I've always had really, really clear skin. So I thought I didn't have to. Wow. And then eventually I just kind of got into it. And now it's just like creams and like the ointments and everything that I kind of <laughs> need. And it's been such a great self-care act as well. Yeah. I love a good skincare routine. That's why I'm curious. So, <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, so in the morning, are you coffee, tea or something else? Coffee? 100%. Um, and what's your favorite podcast that you're listening to right now? Ooh, the game by Alex Hermosi. It is an incredible podcast. He has them short and sweet, maybe up 15 minutes, but this guy is so freaking brilliant and I love his podcast and it's very interesting. Amazing. Um, and last but not least, if you could wear one outfit on repeat for the rest of your life, what would it be? Definitely my PJs. <laughs> Always. <laughs> I'm literally in my PJs as we're doing this. Love that honesty. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so just to wrap it up, can you just reiterate where people can find you online? What are the key websites and where can they find you on Instagram? Yeah. So for Instagram, you can just find us at Magnetic Bookkeeping. And then if you also want to check us out, you want to get a hold of us, or if you have any follow-up questions for any of this stuff, I know this was a lot of information. I am an open book. My team is an open book as well. You can come over to magneticbookkeeping.com. There's ways to get on console calls if you need to. Uh, we do offer a free diagnostic review of your books. So if you've been DIYing or you currently have someone who's doing them for you and you're kind of questioning the quality of work, we will actually go into your books for free. And so we'll get on a call, understand your business, dive into your books and make some suggestions, whether that's move on to someone who can actually support you or give you suggestions on what you need to do or help clean everything up. So you can find that all over our website. If you need to feel free to email us at support at magneticbookkeeping.com. And we're also happy to chat with you there. And so it's been quite exciting to be here. Yeah. Thank you for helping us master the money game. I really appreciate your time today, Alyssa. Such a valuable episode. And I know our listeners are going to love it and probably take notes and listen to it again. I bet. Yay. I love it. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Have a nice day. You too. Thank you for listening to Brave and Boss, the podcast. If you want to take your e-commerce brand to the next level, be sure to check out my website at christysumer.com, where you can find all the show notes, free resources, and blog posts and principles to help you grow your online store. You can also follow me at K-R-I-S-T-I-S-O-O-M-E-R on Instagram. Find your purpose, make it happen. I'll talk to you soon.